Those of you who cut your teeth on a Baptist hymnal have sung that song many, many times. Those of you who uh, may be new new to this community of faith or to the Baptist family um, need to know that uh, being led by Jesus is what we preach and believe here at Highland. That we think that Jesus is not just one who comes to uh, transact business with us to get us saved, but rather saves us by leading us and guiding us to be whole and healthy. And so we're looking at his sermon uh, that was recorded by Matthew in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the first gospel. Today from Matthew chapter 7, following the reading, let us sing together the words from this sermon, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Let us listen for what the Spirit of God says to the people of God. Together we sing. As we're seated, we invite our children, kindergarten through second grade, to be dismissed for children's worship. Let's bow together and pray. On this day, O God, gathered in the beauty of this space, in the security of where we live, we would open ourselves to you. To let what you need to say to us be said through sermon, song, scripture, through the community gathered in this place. We recognize that we live privileged lives. And we ask for your wisdom to know how to hold our privilege and be good stewards of what you give us. In terms of our freedoms, our resources our intellect, our security. For as our youth come back and remind us of people who are without a country or without security or without many of the privileges that we presume, we recognize these as our very brothers and sisters. And so we pray for your wisdom and for the healing of our eyes that we might see the oneness that you desire for all of creation. Make us one, we pray. 
not only in word but in deed. Make us one in prayer now as we employ the words that Jesus long ago gave us, words that are spoken in many and varied places, in many tongues throughout all time and space. As your people pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Sometimes the Bible sounds so outdated, so um, non-contemporary. I mean, judging is what we do. We've made an American pastime out of judging. There are TV shows that are, give you the opportunity to be the judge, you know, the voice or the next uh, talent or dancing with the stars. It's, it's what we do. It's as American as apple pie. It's, Americans exploit the weak, send our jobs overseas, worry about minimum wage, and we judge. It's what we do. What's so wrong about a little bit of judging? When I was in college, whenever a friend would become critical of another person, we would say, ah, 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 Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. And if they were sharp, they would respond by saying, Oh, well, I've practiced Matthew 7.20, which says, By your fruits you will know them. I'm not judging. I'm just being a fruit inspector. <clears throat> we love to judge, and we'll find a way to judge. There are other times that the Bible doesn't feel so much outdated as it just seems backwards or even wrong. I mean, this story that reports that the Lord God said to the first parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why not? Wouldn't the capacity to know good and evil be an asset in this crazy world we live in? I mean, isn't that the task of, frankly, of Christianity? Aren't we supposed to come in here and learn right and wrong, good and bad, so that we can go out and judge others and tell them that they're wrong and try to get them to do right and go to heaven? We recognize that there is knowledge which can be very important, knowledge that begets wisdom and nurture and guidance and wholeness and life. But I think God knew from the very beginning that there is a shadow to knowledge. A shadow that's cast perhaps by our own human egos on this knowledge that somehow takes knowledge, even the knowledge of good and evil, and turns it for our own agendas, our own desire to control, our own desire to have certitude and to place things in categories. Our desire to criticize and even condemn, yes, to judge. Judging implies that life is all about right and wrong, win and lose, pride 
and shame, and it always presumes that the one doing the judging somehow has perfectly clear vision and stands in this unique, objective perch by which to observe and interpret and draw conclusions and judgments. Don't go there, says God. Don't do it. Don't do it, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But we do. We all presume that our particular point of view is, of course, the right point of view. It's what we see. It's what we perceive. If we thought our point of view was different, we'd go over to another point of view and we would hold it. And there we would think we were right. But I think God knew, and Jesus knows, that we do not have the capacity to see correctly. In fact, when we think we see correctly, Jesus says, what's that in your eye? Not a speck, a log. Compared to the speck you're trying to take out of your brother's eye, compared to the criticism you're offering, your presumption that you have perfect vision actually says you're more blind than you even realize. You've got a log in your eye. The truth of the matter is we're more blind than we know. We have what are called blind spots. Do you remember learning about blind spots when you were learning to drive? The person who was teaching you how to use the mirrors on your car would would have the car parked and you would set your mirrors so that you could see as much as you could out of that central mirror and the two side mirrors. And then the person who was teaching you would go stand behind the passenger seat in a certain spot where You could not see him or her no matter what mirror you looked into. Why? Because they stood in the blind spot. What is true of driving is true of life. We don't see what we can't see. We don't see it. We can't see it. We're blind to it. What then is this log that gets in our eye? What is this ego-driven desire to define goal, the goal of life, the goal of faith, as some kind of moral achievement where there are certain people who are good, there are certain people who are right, there are certain people who win. Life becomes a kind of contest where we judge and keep score and we decide that the one who has the most merit badges in the end wins. And the scriptures show us from beginning to end that this log in our eye trips up many well-intentioned person and keeps us anxious and Dependent. Here's how it's affected my own life. You'll have to think about how it affects your life. One of the logs in my own eye that I've tried to take out many a time is this conditioning that that I've received. I have no idea where it came from. Maybe it's because my wife's mean to me. Maybe it's because I wasn't breastfed. Maybe it's because I was the shortest kid in the class. But somehow I've been conditioned to think that life is somehow a contest. Life is somehow a contest where there are winners and losers. And if life is a contest, sort of like sports, then there are curveballs that are thrown. 
There are fakes that are made. There are counter moves. There are blocks. And thus, I live my life as if it's a contest. I'm not conscious of this. It's my blind spot. And thus, I judge, based on my view, that most people, when they say things to me, really aren't being sincere. They're throwing a curveball. They're, they're doing a little sleight of hand. They're trying, to, they're trying in their own way to win. And it affects what I see. It affects what I hear. Seven years ago when our son Bobby died, many of you came to us and talked about what a wonderful, handsome, happy, winsome, joyous guy Bobby was and how much joy he brought to this community of faith. And I thought, no, you, I know Bobby. He's sloppy. He, he, he broke the window outside in the church. He, he's done this. He's done that. You're just speaking well of the dead. Or maybe you don't know what to say to grieving parents, and you're just trying to be kind. I could not hear what was being said. Just this January, when my 95-year-old mother died, many of you have got, had gotten to know her. She'd been a part of our community for three years. You said wonderful things about my mother, about that light in her eye, about what joy she brought, about how funny and spunky and sweet she was. But all I could remember in that moment was how she used to blurt out things as she sat on the second row. What did he say? <laughs> and, it, you know, I just thought, you're just trying to placate me. You're just trying to be nice to your pastor. In fact, it wasn't until about halfway through my mother's funeral up in Dayton, Ohio, where we invited people to say a word about my mother. She'd been a Sunday school teacher up there for decades and had worked in the community. So we invited people to say a word about my mother, and people stood one after another and talked about how my mom had profoundly impacted their life. And I was doing my usual thing, not consciously, but subconsciously thinking, you're, you're just talking here, until it occurred to me, either I'm right and all of these people are wrong, or I'm the one who's blind. And they're seeing things that I'm unable to see. Just last month, uh, I was asked to be part of a panel discussion at our Cooperative Baptist Fellowship General Assembly, and I was paired with uh, a pastor I've known since he was in middle school. I was a young pastor, and he was a middle school student. We've just known each other for 30 years, but we find ourselves now on opposite sides of the issue on the gay and lesbian question. And so they put us on a, on a panel together. And when Steve began his, his remarks, he began by talking about how much I meant to him, about what a spiritual mentor I was to him. And once again, I subconsciously began to judge. Well, this is just a bunch of preacher talk. He's just, this is a ploy to kind of warm up the crowd and sort of note that we're friends together. I even dismissed it when he brought up the fact that when he was called, and we've sensed a call into the ministry, he was a college student, he called me that evening. 
said, can I come to your house? He was in Waco. I'm in Austin. He said, can I come spend the night at your house? He drove from Waco to Austin, and we spent the night talking about what it meant to be called, what it meant to serve a church, what it meant to to enter into this unique work of being a pastor. And as he talked about it, I remembered that event, and I was confused by it. I, I remember that. That was a moment. But it really wasn't until the next day when Terry finally said to me, can you not see what he's saying to you? That it occurred to me that my judgments blinded me to things that people want to say or that to blinded me to, to, to truths that are out there that I'm incapable of receiving unless I allow these blind places to be healed, to be given to God. Because if I don't, well, Jesus said that the judgments that you make will be the judgments you get. And what I think he means by that is not just so much that it's a consequence it's, it's, it's a judgment on us as it is an echo. An echo. My judgment bounces back on me and blinds me. Well, that's my story. What's your story? Where are those places in your life where Jesus' were words... With the judgments you make, you will be judged. Long ago, Adam and Eve ate from that tree that they were forbidden to eat from, the tree of judgment, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they discovered that they were naked. They made self-judgment. What a metaphor. A metaphor of exposure and inadequacy and insecurity and separation and judgment. Richard Rohr says that the major heresy of the Western church is that we've turned the meaning of faith on its head. Instead of faith being about trusting, about not knowing and being okay with not knowing, we have equated faith with a demand to know. I need to know. And the need to insist that, in fact, I do know, and therefore I can be the judge of others. Don't go there, Jesus said. Don't go there, God said to Adam and Eve. Jesus told a parable one time about a farmer who went out and sowed wheat into his field. But that evening, an enemy came and, and sowed weeds in the field. And so later, as time went on and the plants began to grow, the servants came to the, the farmer and said, I thought you sowed wheat in your field. Why are weeds coming out? Would you like us to go in and pull out the weeds? But the wise farmer said, no. For you can't tell the weeds from the wheat at this time. We'll give it time, and in God's good time, all will be revealed. What I'm suggesting this morning is that we have misjudged judging. We have presumed that it is our task to go out into the world, having come to church, to go out in the world and make judgments on everyone else. Jesus said, leave it alone. 
A little bit of religion is a dangerous thing. Which is what I think when he said, don't take your pearls and throw them before the swines. Don't give what's holy to the dog. In other words, don't misuse this faith of ours. For in, in the misuse, you dishonor the uniqueness that it is. Instead, Jesus decides not to divide the world into good and bad, right and wrong, in and out. He invites us to think of faith as the humility to live with it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, the brokenness in ourselves, in others, in this world we live in, and to trust that the one who knows all and sees all still loves all and will heal our blind eyes until we can see what is deeply true. You are the children of God. Not because you got it right, not because you're perfect, but because you're the children of God. I think this is what it means when we talk about Jesus saving us. How does he save us? He opens our eyes. And let's us see what's always there. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Save us, O oh Christ, from those many blind spots that keep us from living into the wholeness of life. Fill us with your grace such that we can live with confidence and humility until the day when all is revealed. Now to your glory, forever and ever. Amen.